The Wild Duck by Henrik Ibsen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae Varle, Merchant, Factory Owner, etc. Read by Algy Pug. Gregish Varle, his son. Read by David Goldfarb. Old Ekdal. Read by Lewis. Yalmar Ekdal, the old man's son, a photographer. Read by Marty Chris. Gina Ekdal, Yalmar's wife. Read by Goldfish. Hedvig, their daughter, fourteen years old. Read by Cheyenne Darnell. Mrs. Sorby, Varle's housekeeper. Read by Carol Box. Relling, a doctor. Read by Lars Rolander. Molvik, an ex-theological student. Read by David Lawrence. Graberg, bookkeeper. Read by Avai. Pettersen, servant to Varle. Read by Dublin Gothic. Jensen, hired waiter. Read by Max Schoeninger. A pale and fat gentleman. Read by Leonard Wilson. A thin-haired gentleman. Read by Martin Giessen. A short-sighted gentleman. Read by Lars Rolander. A waiter. Read by David Lawrence. Narrator. Read by Christine. The first act at Mr. Varles. The four other acts at Ekdal the Photographer's. End of Dramatis Personae Act One. Verlis House, richly and comfortably furnished study, bookcases and upholstered furniture, a writing-table with papers and ledgers in the centre of the stage, lamps alight with green shades so that the room is dimly lighted, open folding-doors with a curtain drawn at back, beyond a large elegant room, brilliantly lighted with lamps and branched candlesticks at the right lower entrance of the study a small base door leads to the office left lower entrance a fireplace with glowing coals and beyond this a folding door leading to the dining-room petersen Werle's servant in livery and the hired waiter jensen in black are setting the study in order in the large room two or three other hired waiters are moving about trimming and lighting several more lights from within the dining-room is heard a confused buzz of conversation and laughter a knife is wrapped against the glass there is silence a toast is given cries of bravo and then again the buzz of conversation lighting a lamp on the mantelpiece and placing a shade upon it just listen jensen there's the old chap standing up by the table and proposing to Mrs. Sorby's health in a long speech. Bring down an armchair. Is there any truth in what people say, that there's something between them? Goodness knows. For he's been a great rake in his time. Maybe. It's in honour of his son that he's giving this dinner, they say. Yes, his son came home yesterday. I never knew before that Mr. Verle had a son. Oh, yes, he has a son, but he's always stopped up there at the Hoydel works. He's not been in town all the years I've been in service here. At the door of the other room. I say, Pedersen, 
Here's an old fellow who... Muttering. Who the devil's here now? Old Ekdal enters the room from the right. He wears a threadbare cloak with a stand-up collar, woolen mittens, in his hand a stick and a fur cap, under his arm a parcel done up in cardboard. He has a reddish-brown dirty wig and a small moustache. Going towards him. Good gracious! What do you want here? In the doorway. Must absolutely go to the office, Peterson. The office was closed an hour ago, and... Heard so at the door, my lad, but, but Grayberg's in there still. Be a good fellow, Peterson. Let me slip in this way. Pointing to the base door. I've been that way before. All right. You can go. Opens door. But mind you leave the proper way, for we've company. Know that. Mm, thanks, Peterson, my glad. Good old friend, thanks. Mutters in a low tone. Idiot. He goes into the office. Peterson closes the door after him. Is he one of the clerks, too? No, he only does writing at home when it's wanted. But he's been a great swell in his time, has old Ekdal. Yeah, he looks as if he had been a little of everything. Yes, for you know he's been a lieutenant. The devil he has. He been a lieutenant? That he has. But then he went into the timber trade or something of the sort. They say he played Mr. Whirl a very dirty trick once. For the two were partners then up at the Hoydel works, you know. Ah, I know good old Ekdal, I do. We drink many a good bottle of beer and bitters together at Mrs. Erickson's. Surely he hasn't got much to stand treat with. Lord Jensen, of course you understand that I pay. For I think one should be polite to better people who've come down in the world. Did he go bankrupt? No, it was worse than that. He was sent to jail. Jail? Or the House of Correction or something. Listening. Hush. They're coming from the table. The doors of the dining-room are thrown open by a couple of servants from within. Mrs. Sorby, talking to two gentlemen, comes out. Gradually all the guests follow, among these Mr. Varle. Jolmar Ekdal and Gregish Varle enter last. To the servants, as she passes along. Patterson, have the coffee served in the music-room? Yes, Mrs. Sorby. She and the two gentlemen pass into the room at the back, and thence right. Pettersen and Jensen go out the same way. To the thin-haired one. Oh, that dinner! It was a stiff bit of work. Oh, with a little good will, one can get through an immense deal in three hours. Ah, but afterwards... <clears throat> afterwards, my dear Chamberlain. The title of Chamberlain is one bestowed by the king as a special distinction upon men of wealth and position. It is the only title now permitted in Norway, where all titles of nobility were abolished in 1814. I hear the mocha and maraschino are to be served in the music-room. Bravo! Then Mrs. Sorby can play us something. In a low voice. <laughs> if only Mrs. Sorby doesn't play us any tricks. Oh, no, Bertha will never turn against her old friends. <laughs> they laugh and go into the room, in a low voice and depressed. I don't think any of them noticed it, Gregish. Looking at him. What? Didn't you notice it either? What should I notice? We were thirteen at table. Really? We were thirteen? Glancing at Jolmar Ekdal. We generally have twelve. To the others? This way, gentlemen. 
he and those who had remained behind with the exception of Yalmar and Gregish, go out through the door at the back and off right. Who has heard everything? You shouldn't have asked me, Gregish. What? Why, they say this dinner is given in my honour, and I shouldn't have my best, my only friend. But I don't think your father likes it. I never come to this house. So I hear. But I must see you and talk to you, for I shall certainly go away again soon. Yes, we two old schoolfellows, we have surely been separated long enough. We've not seen one another now for sixteen, seventeen years. Is it so long? Yes, it is. Well, how are things going with you? You look well. You've grown almost stout and portly. Hmm. One can hardly call it portly, but I dare say I look rather more manly than I did then. Indeed you do. Your outer man hasn't suffered. Gloomily. But the inner man. Believe me, that is very different. You know what terrible trouble has come to me and mine since we two met. In a lower tone. How is your father getting on now? My dear friend, don't let us speak of that. My poor unhappy father, of course, lives at home with me. Why, he has no one else on earth to cling to. But it is such bitter pain for me to speak of this, you see. Tell me, rather, how you have got up on there at the works. I've been delightfully lonely with plenty of time to ponder over many things. Come here, let's make ourselves comfortable. He sits down in an armchair by the fire, and makes Yolmar take another by his side. Moved. I have to thank you all the same, Gregers, for asking me to your father's table, for now I know you've no feeling against me any longer. Astonished. Whatever makes you think I had any feeling against you? Yet you had during the first years. What first years? After the great misfortune. It was so natural you should have. Why, it was only by a hair's breadth your father escaped being dragged into this horrible affair. And you thought I had a feeling against you because of this? What can have put such a thing into your head? I know you had, Gregers, for I had it from your father himself. Starting. Father? So? Hmm. Was that why you never wrote to me? Not a single word? Yes. Not even when you decided to go in for photography? Your father said it was no use writing to you about anything. Looking straight in front of him. No, no. Perhaps he was right. But tell me, Hjalmar, do you feel satisfied with your position? With a sigh. <sighs> oh, yes, certainly. I really can't say I'm not. At first, as you will understand, it all seemed so strange to me to be placed amid such absolutely new surroundings. But then everything else was so changed, too. The great, overwhelming misfortune with my father the shame and the scandal gregers moved yes yes i know i couldn't dream of going on with my studies there wasn't a shilling to spare on the contrary we were rather in debt mostly to your father i fancy hmm 
so i thought it best just with one wrench you know to cut myself off from the old conditions and relations it was your father principally who advised me to do this and as he helped me so much did he yes of, of course you know he did where should i have got the means to learn photography to set up a studio and make a start that costs money you know and father paid for all this yes dear friend didn't you know i understood him to say he had written to you about it not a word of what he had done he must have forgotten it we've only exchanged business letters with one another so it was father yes sure enough he never wished people to know about it but it was he and it was he too who made it possible for me to get married but perhaps you don't know about that either no i certainly did not shakes his arm my dear hjalmar i can't tell you how happy all this makes me and how it pains me perhaps after all i have wronged father in certain things for this shows he has a heart you see it shows a kind of conscience conscience yes yes or whatever you like to call it no i have no words to tell you how glad i am to hear this of father and so you are married yalmar that's more than i shall ever manage well i hope you are happy in your marriage yes i am indeed she is as bright and brave a woman as man could desire and she is not quite without education either slightly astonished no of course not no life is an education you see then the daily intercourse with me and then there are some gifted men who often come to see us i assure you you wouldn't know gina again gina yes dear friend didn't you remember her name was gina her name was gina why i know nothing but don't you remember she was in service here for a time looking at him is it gina hansen yes of course it's gina hansen who looked after the house during the last year that mother lay ill certainly that is so but dear friend i'm quite certain that your father wrote you i had got married who has written yes he certainly did but not that walks up and down yet wait a moment perhaps he did now i come to think of it but father always writes me such short letters half seating himself on the arm of the chair now tell me hjalmar for this is too delightful how did you get to know gina to know your wife very simply gina didn't stop here long for there was so much confusion here at that time your mother's illness gina could not see to everything so she gave notice and left that was a year before your mother's death or maybe the same year it was the same year and i was up at the works at the time and then afterwards well gina lived at home with her mother a mrs hansen a very worthy and hard-working woman who kept a small eating-house and she had a room to let too a very pretty comfortable room and you were probably delighted to take it yes indeed it was your father who suggested it to me and there you see there i really got to know gina 
and so you got engaged yes young folks soon get to care for one another hmm rises and walks up and down tell me when you got engaged was it then that father i mean was it then that you began to take up photography exactly for i was anxious to settle down as soon as possible and so both your father and i thought photography would be the likeliest thing and gina thought so too and there was a reason for that you see it fitted in so well as gina had learnt to retouch that fitted in most remarkably delighted rising yes didn't it don't you think it fitted in remarkably yes i must confess it did father seems to have been almost a sort of providence to you moved he did not forsake the son of his old friend in his hour of need for he has a heart you see enter mrs sorby leaning on the arm of mr varley no nonsense dear mr varley you mustn't stop in there any longer staring up at the lights it's not good for you dropping her arm and passing his hands over his eyes i almost think you are right Petersen and the hired waiter jensen enter with trays to the guests in the other room this way please gentlemen anyone who wants a glass of punch must come here for it enter the fat gentleman coming up to mrs sorby but good heavens is it true that you have abolished our blessed liberty to smoke yes in mr verley's domain it is prohibited chamberlain since when have you promulgated these stringent articles of cigar law mrs serby since our last dinner chamberlain for then we had certain persons here who went too far and you would not permit a slight overstepping of the bounds mrs bertha really not in no respect chamberlain barley most of the guests have come into mr varley's room the waiters take round glasses of punch to yalmar going up to the table what are you pouring over there ekdal only an album mrs varley who is walking about ah photographs yes that's something in your line in an armchair haven't you brought along any of your own no i have not you should have it is so good for the digestion to sit and look at pictures and besides it contributes towards entertaining people don't you know and all contributions are thankfully received the chamberlains mean that when you are asked to dinner you must do something for your meal mr ekdal where one dines so well that is simply a pleasure good heavens when it's a question of a struggle for life there you are right they continue the conversation amid laughter and joking in a low voice you must join us hjalmar shrinking how should i join in don't you think mr verley that tokay may be considered a comparatively wholesome drink for the stomach by the fireplace i can answer for the tokay you've had to-day anyhow for it is one of the very best vintages you've noticed it no doubt yes it tastes remarkably delicate hesitatingly is there 
any difference then in the vintages? Laughing. <laughs> oh, that is good. Smiling. <laughs> it's hardly worth while giving you a fine wine. It's the same with Tokai as with photographs, Mr. Ekdal. There must be sunshine, is it not so? Yes, light has a great deal to do with it. Why, that's exactly as it is with Chamberlain's, for they too greatly need sunshine, people say. <laughs> that's a very stale sarcasm. Mrs. Service coming out. And at our expense. Threatening. Madame Berta, Madame Berta. Yes, but it is indisputably true that vintages may be vastly different. The old ones are the finest. Do you reckon me among the old ones? Oh, far from it. There now, but me, sweet Mrs. Serby. Yes, and me. In what vintage do you reckon us? <laughs> I reckon you among the sweet vintages, gentlemen. She sips a glass of punch. The chamberlains laugh and joke with her. Mrs. Sorby can always find a loophole when she wants. Help yourself to glasses, gentlemen. Petition, see to it. Gregish, I think we'll take a glass together. Gregish does not move. Won't you make one of us ectal? I found no opportunity of drinking with you at table. The bookkeeper, Graubarg, looks in through the base door. Beg pardon, sir, but uh, I can't get out. Why, have you got locked in again? Yes, and Flaxstead has gone off with the keys. Well, you can pass through here, then. But there's someone else. Come on, come on, both of you. Don't mind us. Gramarg and old Ekdal come out from the office. Involuntarily. Oh, phew. The laughter and chatter of the guests cease. Yalmar starts at the sight of his father. He puts down his glass and turns to the fireplace. He does not look up, but makes little bows to both sides as he goes out and mutters. Beg pardon, I've come the wrong way. Door lock, door lock, beg, beg pardon. He and Graberg go out to the back, right, between his teeth. Confound Graberg. With open mouth and staring eyes to Yalmar. Surely that cannot have been. What was that? Who was it? Oh, nobody. Only the bookkeeper and someone else. To Yalmar. Did you know the man? I don't know. I don't notice. Getting up. What the deuce is in the wind? He goes to the others, who are talking in a low voice, whispering to the servant. Give him something outside. Something really good. Nodding. All right. He goes out, in a low and shaken voice, to Yalmar. So it was really he? Yes. And yet you stood there and denied you knew him. Whispering passionately. But how could I? Acknowledge your father? Pained. Ah, uh, if you were in my place. The conversation of the guests, which had been carried on in a low tone, now becomes strainedly noisy. Coming up to Yolmar and Gregish in a friendly manner. Aha! Are you standing here renewing old memories of student years? Hey, won't you smoke, Mr. Ekdal? Do you want a light? 
ah it's true we mustn't thank you i should not have haven't you some nice little poems to recite to us mr ekdal you used to do that so charmingly unfortunately i can't remember anything ah that's a pity what shall we do maul both gentlemen cross the room and go into the other room gloomily gregers i'm going you see when a man has felt the crushing blows of fate upon his head bid your father good-bye for me yes yes are you going straight home yes why because perhaps i'll look in on you later no you mustn't do that not at my home my house is dreary gregers especially after such a brilliant festivity as this we can always meet somewhere outside the, in the town who has come up in a low voice are you going ekdal yes remember me to gina thanks and tell her that i shall look her up one of these days oh thanks to gregish stop here i want to slip out unobserved he crosses the room passes into the other room and goes out right aside to the servant who has returned well did you give the old man something yes i did i gave him a bottle of brandy oh you might have found him something better than that no i couldn't mrs sorby brandy's the best thing for him by the door with a volume of music in his hand shall we play something together mrs sorby certainly let us bravo bravo she and all the guests pass out of the room right gregish remains standing by the fireplace mr varle looks for something on the writing-table and seems to wish gregish to go as the latter does not move mr varle goes towards the entrance door father won't you wait a moment stopping what is it i must have a word with you can't it wait till we're alone no it cannot for it may be we never shall be alone coming nearer what does that mean during the following conversation the playing of a piano is heard from the music-room how could that family be allowed to come to such a wretched pass probably you mean the ekdals i understand yes i mean the ekdals yet lieutenant ekdal was very near to you once unfortunately he was he was only too near to me i felt it and suffered from it many a year it is him i have to thank that a sort of stain blurred my own good name and fame yes mine in a low voice was he really the only guilty one who else do you suppose he and you were partners in that big forest business but wasn't it ekdal who drew up the map of the forest that falsified map it was he who carried out the illegal filling of trees on the government lands why it was he who managed the whole business up there i had no idea what lieutenant ekdal was undertaking lieutenant ekdal himself did not know what he had undertaken maybe but the fact remains he was sentenced and i was acquitted yes i know proofs were wanting acquittal is acquittal but why rake up all this unfortunate business that turned my hair grey before his time have you been brooding over this all these years up at the works i can assure you gregish here in town the story has long been forgotten as far as i am concerned 
but the unfortunate Ekdals. No, really, what would you have had me do for these people? When Ekdal came out, he was a broken man, absolutely helpless. There are men on earth who sink to the bottom if they get a few shots in them, and who never come to the surface again. You may take my word, Gregish. I went as far as I could without exposing myself and giving colour to all sorts of suspicions and gossip. Suspicions? I see. I've given Ekdal copying to do for the office, and I pay ever so much more for it than the work is worth. Without looking at him. Hm, I do not doubt that. You laugh. Don't you believe what I say? It is true there is nothing of all this in my books. For there are certain expenses I never enter. Smiling coldly. No, there are certain expenses which it is best not to enter. Starting. What do you mean? With forced calm. Have you entered what it cost you to let Yalmar Ekdal learn photography? I entered what? I know now that it was you who paid for that. And I know, too, that it was you who so generously helped him to make a start. Well, and yet you say I've done nothing for the Ekdals? I can assure you, in all conscience, these people have cost me quite enough. Have you entered any of these expenses? Why do you ask? Oh, I have my reasons. Listen, at the time when you interested yourself so warmly in the son of your old friend, was that not the very time when he was to get married? How the devil, after so many years, could I remember? At that time you wrote me a letter, a business letter, of course, and in a postscript you briefly said that Hjalmar Ekdal had married a Miss Hansen. Well, that was right enough. That was her name. But you did not write that the Miss Hansen was Gina Hansen, our former housekeeper. Laughed sarcastically, but somewhat constrainedly. <laughs> no, it never really occurred to me that you were so deeply interested in our former housekeeper. Nor was I. But... In a lower voice. There was another here in the house who was deeply interested in her. What do you mean? Angrily to him. I suppose you're alluding to me. In a low but firm tone. Yes, I allude to you. And you dare? You permit yourself to? How can he, that ungrateful wretch, the photographer, how dare he presume to make such insinuations? Yalmar has not referred to all this by a single word. I don't believe he so much as suspects anything of it. Whom have you had it from, then? Who can have said such a thing? My poor unhappy mother said so, and that was the last time I saw her. Your mother? I might have known it. She and you, you always held together. It was she who from the first turned you against me. No, it was all she had to bear and to suffer until her heart was broken and the miserable end came. Oh, she hadn't so much to bear and suffer, not more at any rate than so many others. But there is no getting on with morbid, overstrained people, as I know to my cost. And so you have gone about nourishing such suspicions, gone poking into all sorts of old rumours and calumnies against your own father. Look here, Gregish, I really think that at your age you might find something better to do. Yes, it is time I did. Then perhaps you would take things more easily than you seem to now. 
what can be the good of your stopping up there at the works year out year in worrying yourself as a mere clerk and refusing to take a shilling more than the usual monthly salary it's simple folly of you yes if i could be quite certain that i understand you well enough you want to be independent to owe nothing to me but now there's an opening for you to become independent and absolutely your own master indeed how when i wrote you it was necessary you should come to town immediately hmm yes what did you really want me for i've been waiting all day to find out i wish to propose your having a share in the firm i enter the firm as partner yes it will not necessitate our being constantly together you might take over the business here and then i'd move up to the works you would yes but you see i'm not so fit for work as i used to be i must be careful of my eyes greggish for they are becoming rather weak they always were not so weak as now and then besides circumstances might perhaps make it desirable i should live up there at any rate for a time i should never have believed that see here the greggish there are many things that stand between us but when all said and done we are father and son it seems to me we ought to be able to come to some sort of an understanding you mean outwardly of course well even that would be something think it over greggish don't you believe it could be managed eh looking at him coldly there is something behind all this how so there must be something you want to use me for in so close a relation as ours the one can always be of use to the other so they say i would gladly have you at home with me now for a time i am a lonely man greggish always have felt lonely all my life through but most now that i am beginning to grow old i long to have some one about me well you have mrs sorby yes i have and she has so to see become almost indispensable to me she is bright and even-tempered she cheers up the house and i need that so sorely very well then you've already got all you want yes but i'm afraid things can't go on so a woman in such circumstances soon finds herself in an equivocal position in the eyes of the world and i had almost said that it doesn't do a man any good either oh when a man gives such dinners as you do he can risk a good deal yes but she greggish i'm afraid she will not put up with it much longer and even if she would even if she were willing out of devotion to me to expose herself to the gossip and scandal and all that don't you think greggish you with your intensely strong sense of justice interrupting just tell me one thing straight out are you thinking of marrying her and if i were thinking of such a thing what then i say so too what then would you set yourself absolutely against it no certainly not not in any way for i did not know whether from love for your dead mother's memory i am not overstrained well whatever you may or may not be you have lifted a heavy weight from my heart i am so exceedingly glad that i may count upon your approval in this matter looking fixedly at him now i know you mean to use me use you what an expression ah uh, don't let us be nice in our choice of words 
not when we are alone at any rate laughs shortly <laughs> so that's it so that was why curse it i must come to town in person for the benefit of mrs sorby a scene of family life is to be arranged here tableau of father and son that would be something new how dare you speak in that tone when was there any family life here not as long as i can remember but now a little of that sort of thing may come in useful for it would look uncommonly well to have people talking of the son hurrying hither on the wings of filial piety to his old father's wedding feast what then becomes of all the rumours of the poor dead mother's sorrows and suffering nothing her son hurls them to the earth Gregish, i don't believe there is a man on earth you dislike as you do me in a low voice i have seen you too closely you have seen me through your mother's eyes slightly lowering his voice but you should bear in mind that her eyes were dimmed at times shuddering i understand what you mean but who was to blame for mother's unhappy weakness it was you and all these the last of them was that woman who was foisted upon Helmar Ekdal, when you no longer— Ah! Shrugging his shoulders. Word for word, as if I heard your mother. Without noticing him. And there he is now, with his great unsuspecting child mind, in the midst of deception, lives under the same roof with such a woman, and does not know that what he calls home is built upon a lie comes up closer when i look back upon all you have done i seem to be looking over a battlefield with ruined human lives everywhere i almost believe the gulf between us is too great bowing with forced self-command i have observed it and so i'll take my hat and go go leave the house yes for now at last i have found a mission to live for what mission may that be you would only laugh if i told you a lonely man does not laugh so easily gregish pointing to the room in the background see father the chamberlains are playing blind man's buff with mrs sorby good night and good-bye he goes out at the back right the laughter and merriment of the guests are heard in the outer room murmurs scornfully as Gregish goes out. Ha! Huh, poor wretch! And yet he says he is not overstrained. End of Act One.